Dive into the world of dance at the Victorian College of the Arts. Their program offers a unique blend of artistry, performance, and choreographic practice within an inclusive environment. As an undergraduate student, you explore contemporary dance, physical theatre, ballet, urban dance, and more in a collaborative studio lab setting. At honors level, specialize in performance skills, choreographic practice, or dance research. Plus, benefit from the proximity of local choreographers and companies, including Philip Adams, Stephanie Lay Company, Lucy Guerin, Chunky Move, and Dance House. Through professional placements, their students have the opportunity to develop pathways for their future careers through these relationships and networks. Consider a variety of bachelor, masters, and even doctorate programs available according to your needs. Join them and unleash your artistic potential at the Victorian College of the Arts. Learn more through the link in the descriptions below. Hello and welcome to the Background Dancer. I'm your host Jason Yap, and thank you for joining me with our community of passionate dance contributors from around the world and across different fields. In this weekly podcast, I offer educational conversations and insightful tips to help you better understand all things offstage about this curious art form. Hello and welcome to the background dancer. This is episode four, which is also the final instalment to the introductory phase of the first month, four episodes, where I would lay the groundworks for what's to come in the future for the podcast. I hope all of you have had a great week and are all healthy, happy, even in such testing times. I have had a pretty good last three weeks because. Right here in Slovakia, at my company, I'm still working, and the catch is I have to take tests, just antigen tests, of course, every single week to go back to work. And I've had three consecutive negative results, which is honestly elating because I've never had negative results in my life. They were only positive ones. <laughs> For some of you who know that I did contract coronavirus late last year. But most of all, just really excited to be recording the last episode where I will be introducing some of the main principles regarding the podcast. So if you have not heard the last three episodes, definitely go back and tune into those before coming back to this one. Now, this episode will hopefully also act as the perfect segue into the main content next month, of course, where I'll be breaking down all of the ten major categories that I've already mentioned in episode one. And definitely stick around because for this episode, I will be covering in detail what those things are and really highlight some of the things that may be of interest to you. So once again, for this episode, we'll be talking about two themes. Firstly, the idea of transition, and secondly, categorical breakdowns of all the things I wish and intend to talk about. So to begin with, let me just bring up the idea of transition, and transition can be hard. I understand. In fact, it is especially for dancers and most performing artists that I know. Now, just to zone in on dance, the sheer amount of dedication required to achieve professional status in this industry is exorbitant, and as you can guess, really does not tally with the overall combination of career opportunities or measures of success. 
I've had to deal with transition at various points in my life, which I'll get into in a bit. Now, for those who have been through this model, I have not. But for those who have and have gone through such an extensive period of dance education from the very tender ages of like, for example, 13, there are schools in the world that offer arts education in high school. Slovakia does that quite well. There's one in Macau, China does it as well. Singapore and Philippines all have very good infrastructures for those kinds of training and educational programs. Now, the extent to which dance can be embedded in our lives, we may experience career termination due to many, many factors. For example, injury, age limitations, a lack of moral and financial support, or just the pure desire to invest in a field outside the performing arts. Like I've said, I've never had this experience of being able to go through a high school arts education. Dance for me was somewhat of a latent experience. So I only started dancing at the age of 16, which was about 12 years ago. I was already about to graduate from high school. But upon talking to people who've had that experience, a lot of them tell me like, oh, I don't want to do it anymore because it's just too overwhelming. I've had this way too long in my life. Now, I remember the first time I took a ballet class. It was in the very beautiful small town of Kota Kinabalu. And the first thing that my teacher said upon my arrival to the ballet center, and I was so excited, I was like, okay, I'm going to take a ballet class because at the time I was doing much more Latin ballroom. And I decided that in order for me to progress as a professional in dance, I need to do more ballet. So I quit everything. And I said, I just want to do ballet right now. And I want to do it from the exam model, which means I have to start dancing with five-year-olds all the way to 12-year-olds. I think I was 18 at the time. I did not mind because I knew that was what it took for me to even be considered for a future role in a conservatoire or an academy. But it took me a whole lot of courage to even say, I want to dance alongside a five-year-old doing bar work. <laughs> Anyways, the first thing my teacher said to me was, I don't think you should do this. You might as well go home. You're not going to make it. Uh, you're too late. You're too old for this. So, yeah, maybe not. And, of course, it was quite devastating to me. But thankfully, I was a very adamant kid. I was also very stubborn at the time. I was very resilient. So I said, no, I want to dance. And the same things happened throughout my time at the Hong Kong Academy for Performing Arts, where teachers were not completely on board with a potential career in dance for me. I mean, they were saying things like, okay, you are much more suitable for management, let's say, or education, let's say, maybe become like a radio guy or whatever, because I was very interested in public speaking and all these other networking endeavors. So I was facing career termination already multiple times in multiple intervals in my life. One of the things I want to introduce to you is the psychological tenet of identity foreclosure. And this happens quite often in performing artists' life because it grows quite organically and also subconsciously. Identity foreclosure is the act of prematurely aligning with acceptable occupational or ideological roles as a means of avoiding later identity crisis. Studies have closely paralleled this experience with many athletes, including dancers, who from a young age dedicate such extensive time to their sports that other exploratory behaviours may be deemed redundant. Now, this is possibly fostered by the sporting environment, wherein athletes feel that their sport successes contribute highly to approval from parents and society as a whole. 
Now, when the athlete's role affiliation is satisfied in that sport, the need to explore alternative activities becomes so much less of a necessity. This was definitely true for me because I was an athlete before I became a dancer, and literally, it was all sports for me. I gained a whole lot of approval, recognition from peers as well as my seniors because I was a good sportsman and not much out of that. So, of course, it never became a necessity for me to invest in other endeavors. Now, similarly, when dancers' identities become so intertwined in their art due to the enormous mental and physical commitment demanded by the profession, they are likely to develop a strong athletic identity meaning the extent to which an athlete identifies with that athletic role. So due to the inextricable ties with dance and all that comes with it, of course, when you're in a dance circle, in a dance community, you build a lot of friends, a lot of social networks. And also people will start to realize, oh, you're actually good in something. And you might gain professional as well as personal fulfillment as a result of all those things. If you have all those things well and done, Life without dance can appear quite unimaginable. So in my case, honestly, I was developing identity foreclosure throughout various intervals in my life, and namely all of the graduation points. So graduating from high school, I was already quite invested in dance, and I really wanted to pursue it as a vocation. And of course, I was faced with the fact of not being able to do it, so I went to psychology. When I graduated from my psychology bachelor's, was the same thing. I couldn't really imagine not pursuing this in a conservatoire, in an academy, at a professional level. Would I have to sit in an office, become a counsellor or some sort? Thankfully, that did not happen. Again, when I was graduating from the academy in Hong Kong, a lot of teachers weren't really believing in me. I was really insecure with my own abilities, but a lot of obstacles also pushed me to go, you know what, Jason, you got to try, right? So in the end, I took that leap of faith and thankfully, I did not face all these cruel realities or at least I've overcome all these cruel realities that could have been true. So developing all these points of identity foreclosure, it was really hard for me to even accept or even contemplate the idea of not being able to dance at that level. And I was very thankful that I had a benchmark it was either this or nothing, <laughs> you know, and I know maybe it's not agreeable with everybody, but at least in my case, I wanted to become good at that level. And therefore, I had to pursue it with that much ferocity, but also with that much patience. So my suggestion and also my life's work is to be able to create environments wherein support is provided to the person as a whole. The person should not be defined only through a single facet individual should not be identified only what they do vocationally. And we as dancers frequently fail to recognize the possibilities of career-ending injuries or burnout or just the need to develop general life skills essential for success beyond the parameters of either your studio or stage. Now, there are so many things about the individual that can also lend support and gain success beyond the studio and the stage. And that's what I believe is so essential for a dancer to realize, and most of all, even for performing artists who are so dedicated to their craft. That's why I completely believe it's my obligation to introduce the topic of transition early on and preclude it from becoming a potential thorn in the future. The goal here is to provide everyone, especially dancers, 
with an increased sense of control through the knowledge they can learn, through the information I can provide, and most importantly, to empower you, to give you the courage to undertake new responsibilities, knowing that you are as prepared as can be. You need tools, you need knowledge, you need confidence to succeed both mentally and emotionally in this industry. And of course, I really implore you to stay in the industry because it is definitely worth your while. But of course, you need to equip yourself with all these different things in order for you to continue persisting even in testing times. Now, just to go back to the idea of the foreclosure, a foreclosed identity can be quite deceptive. A young person of 18 or 19 who can say exactly what he or she wants in life and who has a predetermined occupation already can be misleading. I know such clarity of vision may appear very impressive to peers and adults alike, and it may be evidence of high levels of ambition or self-awareness. However, if their occupational or ideological beliefs have been formulated through the wholesale indoctrination by the young person's family, then maybe, just maybe, this precociousness may prove quite counterintuitive. So always look beyond that. And if you're 18 or 19 right now thinking that, okay, this is exactly what I need to do, think again. Is it really? Spend some time contemplating, talk to more people, and even after that, do more contemplation, more rumination, and see whether this is really exactly for you. Hey, Jason here with a special message for you to help and continue serving our beloved performing arts community. So here's what you can do. Share this with one person you believe who this episode can benefit and attach a personal note explaining why. This way, you are not only helping me grow this show, but also adding value to those you truly care about. Massive appreciation as it means the world to me and let's get right back to the show. So we're going to take a little break. And when we come back, I'm going to start talking about 10 categories that I've already mentioned in episode one and really break them down even further of how I intend to unravel some of its secrets, let's say, and really highlight all these different aspects of our beloved dance and performing arts industry. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. As I was saying earlier, do not be afraid of the idea of transition. I understand transition can be a very daunting task, especially for dancers and most importantly for performing artists. When we're so attached to what we do as a vocation, it can be very challenging to detach yourself from that reality. Part of what the background dancer intends to do is to make the idea of transition sound or seem less scary. All right. There are so many things apart from the performing aspect that we can also contribute to. So in this segment, I wish to talk about the categories that for me are really, really interesting and important for us to delve deeper into. And without further ado, the first things that we are going to talk about is art management. And I've already mentioned theatre and site-specific productions per se, what to do with personal recruitment, proposal writing, tour planning and all these things. 
But the aspect I really wish to highlight is the idea of curation. And as you know, I am a huge fan of curation. I really want to study what this is about. And I believe all of you listening to this already know what TED Talks is. And TED Talks requires so much curatorial practice as a platform. And those are the things that highlight the nuances of our industry. Another thing that I believe also flies under the radar is governance and funding for the arts. And there's this very interesting dichotomy between equity and equality. So this is a very conflicting, also very contentious topic about equity versus let's just give it to everyone. Everybody receives the same amount regardless of the skills of projects they intend to engage in. Now moving on, entrepreneurship is also something that we should think about more, especially as artists. And some of the aspects that I wish to highlight more is philanthropy. So who are the seminal figures in art philanthropy? What are the pros and cons? And when we talk about charity especially, we talk about the poor, we talk about establishing funds for malaria, for example, all these very highly fatal diseases, corona as well. Have we ever talked about charity for the arts? Have you ever seen charity for the arts? And if you have, then that's wonderful because we should have more charity for the arts and culture. Now, funders and organizations alike hopefully are collaborating and creating structured opportunities to connect different funders and donors with specific profiled arts practitioners around the world in order to make philanthropy and charity a much more accessible and understandable endeavor. Definitely, that's part of entrepreneurship. What about education? Education really interests me in many aspects, from the pedagogical, from the academic, and also from the historical aspect. But academia, or the work of course formulation, syllabi and curricular work, and also dance research, these things are very contentious as well, because we always debate about how academia can provide much more to the performing arts, and at the same time, deter it in all of its exegetical versus visceral beauty, let's say. So those are the things I'm quite interested in. How about politics? I know. Systemic discrimination is too highly prevalent in dance. Things like racism, sexism, ageism even, elitism, many, many things. And there are people talking about them, which I'm really, really happy about. But what about organizational politics? Now, I've been involved with such a scenario many a time in my life. And that's something that I can delve deeper into to focalize a little bit more regarding the idea of power play. Technology. One of the things I really, really have not thought about is theater design. And I really wish to talk to somebody who understands where the bar should go, how the floor should be made, how big the windows should be, how bright the lights should shine, elevations, people who actually design and build theaters. Those things really intrigue me. And I really hope to talk to somebody either an architect or a consultant, of how to actually build a theatre. So let's talk about wellness. From the perspective of nutrition, and I know we learn a lot about this in our degrees, in our diplomas in dance and performing arts, to always keep the body at a functional condition, let's say. Fitness, martial arts, somatics, all these different practices that can be integrated into dance. But most of all, I'm really interested in the psychological aspects of dance. For example, prepare for an audition. What are the different pressures and demands between being a full-time compared to a freelance artist? How do you go through injury and rehabilitation? And art therapy. Also, 
emerging so ferociously right now in the industry. And we move on to journalism and the various news portals that are out there disseminating, producing information for us so that we can access and learn more about the industry, either through magazines, newsletters, blog posts, forums, social media, and of course, podcasting. And that's something that I've turned to myself in order to reach out, but also provide for my community who wish to learn more about what we do. Fashion really intrigues me from the trend aspect. So things like hairstyles, sunglasses, and dance jargons, things that we don't really pay a lot of attention to, but literally just emerge. Things like jazz hands. What is a jazz hand, right? Energy. Have the same energy. What does that even mean? When your teacher says, feet together, what does that mean? In first, in parallel, uh, staggered, all these different jargons have created their own cultural lineages. And I think that's really something interesting to delve deeper into. Now, for all the aspiring young choreographers, I will also be unraveling more choreographic tools and techniques, things that will provide us with a lot more avenues into innovative choreographical ideas in the future, do some reviews of the choreographers doing them already. One of them I really admire is Wayne McGregor and his study on neuroscience and developing creativity. And one of the things he does really well is to assemble or connect with cross-sector experts to see and help his choreographic vision. Last but not least, cross-discipline perspectives are always something that intrigues me a lot. Not just from the artistic perspectives, so whether theatre, film, music, visual arts, literature, traditional folklore practices as well, let's not forget, have a place and can amalgamate with dance, but also non-artistic domains such as philosophy, science, as I've already mentioned, anthropology, ecology, religion, all these things definitely have been talked about in parallel with dance. And those things, I think, can be explored so much further as we go along. So those are the 10 categories that I've already mentioned in episode one, but intend to continue investigating, hopefully providing you with a lot more insight as to how these things can not only help the dance industry evolve, but also interest you as a person whether you're in the arts or not, to have a better understanding of how we all work. So just to give you a little recap, I began with the idea of transition and how it can be quite daunting to most of us performing artists. But I encourage you to think about transition because everyone will transition at some point in their lives. A lot of that happens because identity for closure tends to hone in on this. And that is the premature alignment with an occupation or an ideology that causes inseparable affiliations with your vocation. But it's all okay because this is what the background dancer is for, is to introduce to you all these different things that you can do outside of performing in order to make a contribution to the industry. And then I talk about the 10 different categories, the breakdowns and the specific highlights that I will be presenting in the upcoming episodes. So that's a wrap for this episode. I hope this gives you the perfect segue to next month. And the first thing that I will be talking about is, of course, art management, my foremost interest in all things offstage. And I have my first special guest, one of the most prominent figures in Malaysian as well as Southeast Asian dance. So stay tuned for who that is and kindly share your feedback either by commenting or reviewing either Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, 
The links are all in the show notes. Um, you can also email me at backgrounddancer.jy at gmail.com. That's backgrounddancer with two Ds. And most importantly, leave a thought on social media. I'm on Facebook as well as Instagram. Sign up for the email list to receive weekly notifications as well. And definitely join the Facebook group as a member of our community. So once again, thank you for your time as always. Remember to stay healthy, stay happy, and I'll see you in the next episode. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode. Be sure to subscribe comment and leave a review on your designated podcast and social media platforms if you found this interesting or helpful feel free to share with members of your community so that they too may connect with us in our quest to foreground dance in the background i am jason yup of the background dancer and as always catch you next time If you're listening to this, you are most definitely a dance enthusiast, maybe even one for dance science. Well, why not join the International Association for Dance Medicine and Science, or IADAMS for short, and become part of a global community dedicated to supporting dancers and performers worldwide. With active members from over 50 countries, including experts in dance, medicine, and science, iAdams provides a diverse network of support and resources. As a member, you'll gain access to exclusive benefits such as discounts to year-round events, their vast collection of e-learning opportunities, and a subscription to the Journal of Dance Medicine and Science, amongst other incredible and unique offers. Join the mission for better outcomes and apply for an iAdams membership today. Click the link in the descriptions below for more info.